everyone. Welcome to the Farm Commons podcast, where we explore timely and important legal issues and questions facing the farming community today. For community-based farms with a focus on sustainability, managing legal risks is especially important as many innovative farm enterprises like community-supported agriculture programs, on-farm suppers, and gardening classes, and unique arrangements for land access and employment do not fit neatly into our legal system, leading to vulnerability. But through legal education, we can cultivate greater resilience for your farm business so that you can continue to grow in ways that best support you, your relationships, and your community. At Farm Commons, we'll show you why and how. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Farm Commons podcast. My name is Eva, and I'll be your host for the show. I'm joined by Sarah, our staff attorney for Core Resilience, and today we're going to dive into what you need to know when navigating the process of getting a farm lease in writing. And this is a very exciting topic, right, Sarah? Ooh. Hi, Eva. It is uh, exciting. Yes, I would say it's a very exciting topic in terms of it's exciting to think about starting your new farm, but I would say words that come to mind for me are more like daunting and scary and a little bit tedious too. People don't like to think about having to write a lease or figure out what's in the lease or even talk to their landlord about the lease and what they need. It can be scary, but of course I am not a farmer myself. I have never had a farm lease, but Eva, you are a farmer, have had a farm and have had experience leasing farmland is that right yeah yeah uh for three years leasing farmland to operate a farm business in the past um and yeah i was very excited to get on the land and start my farm heartstrong farm in north carolina and at the same time the leasing process was definitely daunting is an appropriate word um just looking at the written lease and you know feeling really good about the terms but then when issues came up and the, some of the terms were kind of squishy and I was unsure as to how to relate to the landlord about things like repairs and maintenance. And sometimes, you know, we, it was an annual lease. And um, at the end of my first year leasing, I had assumed the same agreement would stand for the following year. And when we had gotten into the next year, so January, the landlord had shared with me a bunch of updated terms to the lease, even though technically our lease had already started. And if y'all are already confused, we will get into these details here in a minute. And it was just kind of, um, it was a big question mark to figure out like, do I try to renegotiate the lease? Cause I'm already on the land and I'm here for another year. And yeah, it's, there's there can be a lot involved, including negotiation, um, but also clear communication. Leases can be a great tool for um, navigating conversations between tenant and landlord. And I've I've been grateful to have my lease, and I've also been very ungrateful to have the lease that I had. Um, and yeah, it's 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 a fine balance between um, sowing confidence and resources and joy into a new farm endeavor on land that is being leased and then also navigating the paperwork process that at its very base level is about the relationship between the farmer, the landlord, and uh, 
the land. Yeah. Yeah. Oof, yeah. It's a lot there. <laughs> There's just a lot there. <laughs> well, okay. Well, there's a lot there. So let's get into it, Sarah, and start at ground zero here. So uh, for all our listeners, maybe some of y'all are um, beginning farmers and you're about to lease some land, or maybe some of you are already in on land and maybe you're wondering like, do I have a lease? You know, what's going on here? Um, or maybe you're a farmland owner and you're planning on leasing your property to um, others so that they can start a farm business. So the big question here is, what is a lease? And it's an important question because um, some folks assume that a lease is a written document, which it absolutely can be, but not always. Totally. Yeah, I mean, at its very basic level, uh, a lease is really just a grant of authority to use land. So uh, admittedly, leasing is not a very secure form of land use because the landlord or landowner always sort of has the upper hand. You know, the landlord has the whole entire bundle of property rights. And when I say this, I can totally hear my property law professor, John Nolan speaking, but it's true. The owner can sell the land possess it, make productive use of it, and get prop profits from it, and they can lease it, which is carving out some of these rights for the tenant who can then make productive use of the land themselves. So the lowly tenant then has whatever rights the landowner has granted to the tenant, but again, it's subordinate to the landowner who at the very end of the day can just terminate the lease and take back that grant of authority. Sure, it is supposed to be done legally, and if the landlord doesn't follow the law, the tenant has some rights to redress the harm, but ultimately, the landlord is inherently more powerful. But under the right circumstances and with the right tools, leasing can actually be a very good option for the beginning farmer. So it allows a new farmer to try out farming without a huge, expensive, scary long-term commitment. No mortgage, no threat of foreclosure, no pressure to have to fix the roof on the barn or pay for the new sewer line. Nope, that's the landlord's responsibility. As the tenant, your responsibilities are much lighter and fewer, and that can actually be a great relief. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, thanks, Sarah, for breaking down the legal concept of leasing, including what a lease does generally, and then also some of the pitfalls. Um, and now, now that we know what a lease does, generally speaking, I know that it can be really confusing for people to try and pin down what a lease is. And I mean this in a very like practical, physical sense. So some producers might think a lease is a special form that only an attorney can drop so that it includes certain, you know, magical components for it to be valid um, that only an attorney knows what, what those are and where they are and how they can be rendered um, into a legal document. So can you please provide us with insights into this preconceived notion? So essentially the question is, you know, what, what is the basis for this belief and um, what does the reality actually look like? Yeah, great question, Eva. Yeah, this can be very confusing for folks, indeed. Uh, the truth is there is no special magical form that must be stamped with the court seal. It doesn't have to be a 30-page document drawn up by a lawyer and notarized and recorded with the county's public records. Nope, it can actually just be scribbles on 
a napkin from the local pub. And that's a valid lease. If you're not completely astonished, then let me just add this. It doesn't even have to be written down. You can enter into a lease agreement with anyone at any time over a handshake, over a beer, whatever. No one needs to sign anything. Actually, no money needs to even ever change hands. You know, I suppose if you really take it far, no one ever even needs to speak. I mean, this is a kind of a crazy uh, fact pattern here, but I say this just to get the point across. Say, I, landowner Lucy, open my gate and point to your sheep, and you, farmer Frida, put your sheep on my land to graze, and I give you the thumbs up and come out there and I might pet your sheep from time to time, maybe fix the fence so the sheep don't get out. That, to me, appears that there's some kind of agreement, some meeting of the minds, that it's okay for you, Frida, to use my land, and this, in its most basic sense, is a lease. Yeah, ooh, Sarah, that's an important phrase you use there, <laughs> the meeting of the minds. Uh, can you tell us more about that phrase and what it's about, legally speaking? Sure. Yeah, I mean, a lease is a contract. And it is a contract to use another person's land specifically. And the basic element of a contract, and I'm going back now to my law school days long ago, uh, these are offer, acceptance, and consideration. So altogether, these elements create a clear picture that there was a meeting of the minds. So let's talk about this offer part in the kind of weird example that I just gave. So landowner Lucy, pointed to farmer Frida's sheep and opened her gate. This could be interpreted as an offer, not a very clear offer. For example, we don't know for how long she can do this or why she's offering or anything else, but still, it appears to be an offer. Then farmer Frida brought her sheep right over. An acceptance? Looks like it. Now, what about this consideration piece? So that's a little trickier. This can be real slippery for sure. The legal definition of consideration is based on the concept of a bargained for exchange. So this means that both people involved are getting something that they've agreed to, which is usually something of value for something of value. So here it is unclear from my example if Farmer Frida is paying landowner Lucy anything. If she is, obviously there would be consideration, but maybe she's paying in wool or lamb stew. In those scenarios, there's consideration present too. But what if there's no money, no wool, lamb stew, nothing that seems obviously to have a monetary value? What if Lucy is doing this because she just likes Frida? She wants her to be happy and support her business. Well, friendship and charity are both inherently valuable things too. So there very well may still be consideration in those cases too. Again, if there is this meeting of the minds, if an outsider could look at the situation and see that Frida and Lucy had an agreement, then a lease contract is valid. But we really got into the weeds there. So let's uh, try to resurface a bit. So I say all this not to get all legal scholarly and esoteric, but just to illustrate the point that a lease can take many, many forms. And as long as a basic the basic contract elements are there. It is a valid, legitimate deal. But that doesn't mean that it's a great option 
to write your lease on a napkin or holler across your fence that, hey, you can use my land and that's enough. Writing a lease down on an actual piece of paper with both parties signing and dating the lease and also spelling out things like payment terms and the length of the lease and the rights and responsibilities of both parties. This is really important for several reasons. And here, here they are. Uh, so when you write things down, you tend to remember things. Also committing your commitment to paper tends to make you really think through the hard things and all the details that can just get lost and muddled when we just talk about things or think about things. Also, when you write things down and sign your name to your commitments, you tend to take them more seriously. These are all very important reasons and can lead to greater communication, trust, and follow through. Yet there's another reason still, enforcement. All of these other reasons I just mentioned are about preventing bad things. And that's the realm where Farm Commons prefers to operate, right, Eva? We like preventing the bad stuff um, yes. and hopes that, that the farmers we work with operate into. So those reasons are all about facilitating communication and creating really good, strong relationships with open communication. But you know, even with the best of intentions, relationships, as we know, can break down well due to you know, life and its many variables. So in that case, you may well be in a situation where you need to prove that the lease exists and prove that certain things were promised in that lease. And this is very hard to do when there's no written lease. Not only is it hard to do, but ugh, I'm about ready to get all legalistic and esoteric here again, Eva. So stop me if this goes too wild, okay? Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay, so here is this really wonky legal topic called the statute of frauds. I know it sounds all exotic, uh, but what it really means is when it comes to contracts regarding land, only those contracts that are written down will be enforced. Now, I know I just got into this whole thing about, you know, hey, a verbal lease is just fine. You know, well, it is. It's totally fine. If you never have to go to court and argue about the lease and the terms of it and whether it's valid, that's perfectly acceptable. But if you do end up in court over a lease dispute, the judge is going to sit there and look at you squarely in the eye and say, uh, listen here, Mr. Plaintiff Tenant, there's no written lease, but I've listened to you and to the landlord defendant, and it appears that there were all of the elements of a contract, you know, the meeting of the mind, the offer, the acceptance, the consideration, um, but according to the statute of frauds, all I can do is say this lease while valid, only existed for one year. So that's right. That's the trick about this statute of frauds. Um, it doesn't throw out all non-written leases, but it does usually carve out an exception and says, you know, we just really don't like non-written leases, but we understand that it's important um, to throw the tenant a bone here. So we'll offer something and say, okay, you can have a year, but no more. Now, every state has their own version of this statute of frauds, but typically it's about a year. So just know that the principle still stands, that a lease is a valid lease, even if it's a verbal agreement or on the back of the napkin. But also know that any lease that's not in writing or any terms that are left out on that napkin lease 
are not going to be enforceable in court. So as far as the enforcement reason goes, if you want to be able to enforce the lease in all of its terms, make sure that you have that lease in writing and that you have all of those terms that are important to you in writing in that lease too. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for that rundown, Sarah. And for all you listeners, now that you have a good sense of why you really are in a more legally resilient position when you write the lease down so that it's not limited to just one year, uh, let's move on to what should the farm lease include? So if you are struggling to get a handle on that, we actually have a really great resource for you on our website, which has a list of all of the questions that you should address when creating a lease. And ultimately, the answers to these questions are going to be the terms that you should include in your lease. So this resource, which is called Checklist of Questions for uh, Farmer and Landowners to Ask, really does serve a double role in that it helps you talk about what you need to talk about, <laughs> talk about all the things to talk about, um, to create a good lease. And it helps, helps you actually write the lease down as you work through that checklist. So, you know, talk about um, lease term, how long is the lease, and then improvements, so, you know, who's responsible for those, and what kinds of improvements are certain parties responsible for. And as you talk through each of those questions and come to an agreement, you're actually creating the lease itself, which is, which is pretty powerful. So the questions in our resource are divided into eight sections. And we'll get into the details on each, but for now, those eight sections are the basic info like the parties and rent. Then we get into the rights that the lease grants to the farmer. Um, remember when Sarah mentioned that at its very core, a lease is an agreement to grant rights to the use of land to someone. That section covers all of those rights. And then a good farm lease, of course, is going to cover farming types of things. So you'll want to talk about all kinds of production related activities um, and also the use of facilities and structures on the farm. Uh, how the lease will be renewed is, of course, critical. Whether you can transfer the lease is to say, you know, you're leasing now, but you find a property, farm property that you buy midway into your lease. Can you transfer that lease? Um, and also, can the lease be transferred? while you are there and the, the landowner changes. Um, and also communication. How will the tenant and the landlord talk about the important things? Those are all key areas for a farm lease. Uh, and then we have, of course, additional areas of consideration too. So let's get into them. So Sarah, I know I just kind of uh, stole the thunder a bit with the basics, but um, if, you, if you wanna, if could you run through a basic list of questions that you know, a good sound farm lease should cover for our listeners. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, right. So the basics, you know, this is just all the, all the basic stuff that needs to be included in any good farm lease. So, you know, first of all, who are the parties involved? That sounds pretty easy, you know, pretty understandable. There's the landlord and there's the tenant, but then there are these other questions like, um, is the tenant acting in their personal capacity or, on behalf of a business such as a farm LLC? And is everybody represented, is, is everybody who needs to be represented at the table? So are there other members of the LLC that maybe need to be present and sign that farm lease and understand what's involved in that? Uh, so, you know, exactly 
Um, another thing to remember exactly what kind of land is being leased. So is there a precise legal description and a map of the premises that feels like that's pretty, um, you know, obvious, but it it's not always obvious. Maybe there are two different parcels of land, two tax lots, and you really do want to make sure that that you know what land you're leasing. Is it both of them, just one of them? And then, you know, this is pretty obvious too, but sometimes these things don't make it into leases. So um, a lot of times they don't actually. When does the lease begin? You know, is it beginning when you're first talking about the lease? Is it beginning when you sign it? Are you signing it on this date? Maybe you're signing it on December 23rd, but you're not actually going to be on the land until January 1st. So determining you know, when the actual lease start date is really important. Um, and that gets to the notice stuff that we'll get into. So also when does the lease end? Another thing that should be obvious, but isn't necessarily, is it a lease for a month, a year, 10 years, you know, all that needs to be spelled out. And then, you know, what about the rental payment? When is it due? Uh, how should it be paid? Is it paid in cucumbers, cash? You know, is it monthly? Is it on a yearly basis? Uh, and what if it doesn't get paid? Is there a late fee? If so, is there interest? How is that determined? And then something else that doesn't always get talked about, the taxes. You know, who's paying the property taxes? Is it going to be the landowner or is is the leasing farmer going to chip in on that? So those together make a pretty comprehensive list of all the terms that any good farm lease has to have in it. Yeah, for sure. And in terms of um, like what the lease does, the, the lease grants the right of use for the land. But that right of use is, can be pretty expansive depending on what the parties agree to. So Sarah, like what rights does the lease grant to the farmer um, within the obvious, you know, overarching use of the land? Yeah, I mean, at the very beginning of, of this conversation, we talked about how yeah, at its very core, a lease is really a, a grant of a authority, you know, granting the authority to use a certain piece of land. But what does that mean? You know, is the if the farmer is granted the authority to use this piece of land, what can they do on it? Can they engage in any kind of commercial use in the property? What if they want to grow hemp? Is that allowed? You know, that those things need to be spelled out. Is it only agricultural use of the property or can they do other things? Could they have agritourism on there? Can they um, do any processing? You know, these things really need to be figured out. And then it can be complicated too if there's a residential aspect of the lease too. So if there's a farmhouse on the property, then is that something that should be included in the commercial you know, farming part of the lease or should those actually be separated out? That can be another good question. And then can they, you know, can the farmer sublease? What if they need to leave? Not that farmers ever go on vacation, but if they did, could they sublease their farmlands out while they're gone? You know, lots of, of different, questions come up. Mm -hmm. And importantly, these are questions that you listeners can ask and explore with um, either your tenant or your land owner slash landlord as you're exploring your leasing relationship and working on that resource, the checklist of questions to ask. Yeah, these all come from that checklist and they're just they're just so important. We can't understate 
the importance of these. Yeah, for sure. Well, how about um, production related issues? What would you say, Sarah, like the top, some of the top questions to consider there? Yeah, I mean, getting into all the, the farmy bits here, then, uh, you know, I mentioned before around what is that grant of authority? Can they do, you know, is, is hemp allowed? Are other kinds of crops allowed? Can we do um, livestock? You know, is it okay to have cows on the land? I mean, that's a whole different kind of kind of use of the land than if you introduce livestock and all of a sudden now you have these cows, they could get out of the fed cows, um, don't necessarily respect fences all the time. They might get out into the neighbor's property. They might get into the road. You know, all kinds of problems can potentially um, come from the use of livestock. So is that allowed? And what about, you know, uh, what if the farmer wants to do organic? Are they allowed to do that? Or what if they're restricted to just doing organic? Maybe they want to do conventional. What if they want to use you know, um, pesticides or herbicides, is that allowed or is the landowner um, going to prohibit that? You know, all that needs to be talked about. So uh, what are the other things you need to think about? Land stewardship practices. Um, what about if the farmer wants to do, you know, cover cropping and some other, you know, conservation practices on the land? Will they be rewarded for that? You know, will the landowner um, pitch in on that and maybe reduce their rent if they engage in those practices that are actually going to be very beneficial for the landowner in the long run? Yeah, for sure. Just communicating those um, goals for the farm business as well as the stewardship of the land, those can um, be mutually worked on between the two parties. So really good to communicate about those. Yeah. All right, Sarah, let's see what else. There's so, there's so much potential in the lease because you can cover so much and we are gonna endeavor to cover a little bit more for you, for you <laughs> right, all right. Um, in terms of facilities on the property. So that, that may seem like obvious. So like, oh, if I'm allowed to have livestock on the farm, then obviously I can use the facilities that exist like irrigation. I should be able to use that for um, bringing water out to the pastures so that the cows can get water. Well, that might be an assumption, but it may not be one that's shared by both parties. So Sarah, in terms of facilities, what, what would you say are some top questions to explore? Yeah, I mean, when you brought up irrigation, it's really important out where I am in Oregon. I mean, there's such a water shortage, so much so that farmers are you know, leaving their land because there's no water right now in the drought. So yeah, irrigation is a um, just a absolute, um, you know, no question, top notch, top priority for farmers leasing land. Uh, but you know, what if what if the irrigation breaks down? What if the pump breaks? Who's responsible for fixing that? So that those kind of maintenance and repair questions are going to come up around the use of of facilities and equipment. Really important to know who's paying for all that. And then there is just the basic utilities like the electricity to run the irrigation pump or uh, what about how are we handling, you know, who's paying for the, the internet, if that's going to be a piece of, you know, if you have an office on the farm or if you're living there, who pays for all of that, you know, who takes out the trash, the recycling, all of those things you'd imagine in a, a regular kind of lease, maybe a consideration for the farm too. So what about, you know, pack shed facilities, uh, refrigerated storage, is all that going to be available for the farmer? And this can also be, you know, complicated when 
maybe the land owner is doing farming as well. So how are you going to work together if you're both making productive use of the land? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And then moving on to um, the length or the term of the lease, um, like let's explore renewal. Like Sarah, you had yeah. said earlier how it's important to set a start date and an end date for the lease because it could be kind of squishy depending on, you know, when the agreement was made and when the farming actually happens or when the farmer actually gets onto the land. Um, but same for renewal, you know, like should a producer assume that thing, the lease will renew if nothing is said or, um, or something else because right that these agreements can't are so lease agreements are so powerful because the parties have such um uh, authority over what what the terms are including how the lease renews so um what what would you say are some of the uh top considerations for lease renewal beyond the obvious like let's talk about when the lease renews <laughs> yeah right yeah i mean i think one of the biggest one that comes up is you know does the lease just renew automatically you know, under the whole, under the set of terms in your original lease. And if you do nothing, does it just continue on under the same terms for that same period of time? Or are there, you know, affirmative steps that you have to take by either party? You know, maybe your lease, um, maybe you want to put something in there that says, you know, the lease will only be renewed if a month or three months before the end date that, the tenant goes to the farmer and says, yes, I affirmatively, you know, want to renew, you know, maybe because not everybody wants to renew a lease. It's a big commitment. And maybe you decide after, you know, a year or five years of farming that actually you, you don't want to do this anymore. Maybe you don't want to do it on this property anymore. Maybe you're actually in a position where now you can buy farmland. Uh, now that you have several years of farming under your belt and you have, you know, a solid business plan and cash flow and business projections and lots of business, you know, evidence that you uh, have a good business and can now apply for that traditional loan. So in that case, you don't want to be stuck in another five-year lease. So really important to know exactly how we are going to renew or not renew. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think the key is don't assume. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then another, I think another big option that another big problem that comes up is what if the farmer does a lot of improvements to the land? Maybe they uh, put up hoop houses and maybe take a lot of care with the cover crops and soil amendments and really improve, you know, the health of the soil and the land. And maybe they, you know, build a packing shed. So in that case, when they decide not to renew, what then, you know, does the tenant get compensated for those improvements? Do they have the right to, maybe their hoop houses that they can take with them, can they? You know, these questions, that's another question that needs to be addressed. And then, you know, another thing too is what about termination? What if, what about early termination? So do you want something in the lease that says that you can terminate the lease under certain conditions, like something triggers a termination? Like if you are going to be farming organic, that's something that the, the landowner said was really important to them and something that you agree to do. And then all of a sudden, the landowner finds out that you're using, you know, certain synthetic chemicals or pesticides, does that trigger 
a, a default and the early termination of the lease? You know, is this something that maybe one party wants to have, you know, in the lease? So just a top, top few priorities there, Eva. Yeah, just a few top important ones to consider <laughs> right. for sure. Um, and another area that we focus a lot on and across our programming at Farm Commons is good communication. And um, yeah, the, the, at the end of the day, it's you know one person leasing from another, one party leasing from another, and regular communication can be super helpful um, to, with avoiding problems between the farmer and the landlord. So Sarah, what are some mechanisms uh, for communication that could be included in an Elise to give our listeners some ideas of what they can be thinking about? Yeah, I mean, just uh, something that can be really helpful is to, you know, it may feel obvious or like, oh, we're gonna talk to each other. We're on this land together. Of course, we'll talk, we're friends, we're, you know, in communication regularly, but I think it can be really helpful to build into a lease, you know, annual or even quarterly meetings. And also even you might want to just consider writing down some topics that will be discussed at those meetings. And, you know, maybe you'll talk about your rental rates every year and make sure that it's at a place where um, that, you know, that feels good to everybody. And yeah, that part can be really, really helpful. Yes, for sure. And setting those expectations. So yeah. know that a meeting's coming up and maybe y'all set an agenda about what you'll discuss. For sure. Okay, and then let's see, we talked a bit about the transfer of the lease and, um, you know, asking the question if the farmer dies or decides not to continue farming, maybe the lease is transferred to another individual. Um, or, you know, what happens if the landlord passes away or sells the property to someone else. Um, most farmers will want to make sure that the lease still attaches to any future landowners so that the lease should state as much. And so Sarah, like how can a farmer make sure of that? Yeah, well, a, a really important way to protect yourself in a, a lease, a good way to protect your lease in case the landlord's a landowner were to die or sell the property is to put future land owners on notice that your lease is valid and in, in existence. So um, the best way to do that, and in some states, and we'll get to New Hampshire specific uh, rules on this, but is to record the lease in the county register of deeds. So that means just um, taking the document or at least a, a you don't have to take the actual lease if you want that to be private, just the main terms of the lease, just a something called a memorandum of your lease is something you can take to the, the county recorder's office and get it recorded, which means it's in the public records and it's something that any future landowner would have notice of if they bought the property. So best way for sure to protect your lease in that situation. Yes, get it recorded at the register of deeds, very likely in your county. Yep. All right, so any other considerations before we move on to the New Hampshire state specifics for all you listeners in New Hampshire? Yeah, I mean, there are lots of other considerations. We won't get into all of them now in the interest of time, but you know, I think one I'd like to touch on at least is 
uh, something called a first a right of first refusal or an option to purchase. So that can be something that comes up a lot for farmers that are leasing land and really interested in you know buying land eventually. And if this is a piece of property that they're really interested in potentially owning someday, and that sounds like that is maybe even an option for you know that the land owner would consider, it can be something um, that you might want to consider putting into the lease itself is this option or this first right of, of refusal. So basically, if the landowner were to sell the property, you could have a provision in the lease that says that you as the tenant have um, an option to purchase it. So it means basically before the landowner goes and sells it to somebody else that you get first dibs. So you have the legal right to decide if you want to be the one to purchase that property. Yes, which may be something that you might be very interested in, depending on how long you've been farming on that piece of land, how much um, you've invested in improvements, you know, what your setup is like, and maybe the setup is perfect for growing your farm far into the future. So yeah, good tip there, Sarah. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. This is <laughs> such um, comprehensive info for, for our listeners on farmland leasing. So now that y'all know about the substance of what needs to be included in a solid farm lease, let's talk about what I'm sure many of you have been waiting for this whole time as this episode is um, about farmland leasing. Well, how am I trying to say this? With a focus on New Hampshire state law. But the thing is, um, everything that we've been talking about so far is applicable to farmland leases wherever in the 50 states you are. Um, but to bring it literally home to one state um, and give farmers in New Hampshire some idea of um, nuances to be aware of with your state law. Um, and for, for you listeners who are not in New Hampshire, um, this might cue you in on in, you know just how different laws can be from state to state. And so you may be inspired to look into what your state has to say about farmland leasing. Uh, so Sarah, what issues do producers need to be aware of um, with farm operations in New Hampshire when it comes to leasing. Uh, now that our listeners understand that leasing laws differ from state to state and each state has their own unique set of laws pertaining to land and leasing land. So like yeah. I said, many of those principles are the same across the nation, which is why the bulk of this episode um, is applicable to all producers everywhere. Um, but let's share now the highlights of New Hampshire leasing law and what's important for folks to know about um, about all that and their, their great state of New Hampshire. Sure. Yeah, well, Eva, there are basically five issues I'd like to highlight for our New Hampshire farmers. And these are, uh, number one, how long a lease can be in New Hampshire and how long a lease can be here. Uh, that's that pesky statute of frauds, how much notice you have to give to terminate a lease. Uh, I want to also talk about the importance of recording your lease. And then finally, I want to talk briefly about the mediation program here in New Hampshire, uh, if a dispute should ever arise between landlord and tenant. So first, how long your lease can be. So some states 
greatly limit the length of agricultural leases, but New Hampshire is not one of them. I mean, there is a limit, but it's 99 years, which basically is like forever. So not a big issue here, just something to be aware of if you hear whisperings of lease limit laws. Um, not an issue here in New Hampshire. It tends to be more of an issue in the Midwest, not in New Hampshire. So this is good for farmers who are really wanting a long-term release, which can be a huge benefit for land security, especially when doing something long-term like planting apple trees or something. So next up, uh, the requirement to write down the lease. So New Hampshire has its own version of the statue of frauds, and it's very typical. If you have to write that sucker down, if you want a lease that is enforceable for more than one year, if you have to lease, if you have a lease to farm on Mr. Jones property, say for 10 years, and Mr. Jones tries to end that lease in year five, and you end up in court with Mr. Jones, uh, the judge is going to do that real judgy thing where they look down their glasses covered nose from their high up pulpit with a look of astonishment and bewilderment after you tell them you don't have this lease in writing. And say that you have no rights to be on that land past that first year and then they'll quote the statute of frauds and then you'll be sad. Now on to notice. This is one that really trips people up again and again. It is also really important to understand. So let's try and shine some light on this. So the last thing you want to have happen is to plant $30,000 worth of garlic, which can't be harvested till next summer. Then be told by a landowner, Larry, that uh, he needs to terminate your lease at the end of this year, which is in just a few, uh, a few months. So long before your little garlic babies are ready for harvest. But this is just the situation one of our member farmers found themselves in. So these things do happen. And can this happen? Is this legal in New Hampshire? Well, it depends on a lot of factors, but uh, just know that in New Hampshire, your landlord must give you three months notice to terminate a lease. This can be confusing because it doesn't just mean that you have to be off the land three months from whenever your landlord gives you notice. It means that your landlord must give notice three months before the end of your lease period. So this can be really tricky because sometimes it's hard to figure out when the lease period ends. If nothing's written down and you don't know how long the lease period is supposed to be, that's challenging. So just another good reason to write that lease down. And on a related note, let's talk briefly about recording. Recording, as we mentioned before, is just uh, simply making a legal document public record. So in New Hampshire, that is done at the Registry of Deeds. And this is important when it comes to land-related matters because like uh, even I talked about already, if a future owner goes to buy a piece of property, they are considered to have constructive notice of things related to this land if such things are recorded. So it's a very good idea to record your agricultural lease or at least to record, like I mentioned, a memorandum of your lease, which is a document that says the basic terms of the lease, but it's not the lease document itself. Again, if you want to keep that part private. Uh, this way, if the farm property is sold and you still have that valid lease, you still have that valid lease and the buyer will have to honor that. So without such recording, you may still be able to enforce a lease on that situation, such as in the case where a buyer went out to the property and saw with their own eyes that there was somebody leasing it. 
but in New Hampshire, any lease for a term greater than seven years will not be enforced if they are recorded. So even if that buyer has you know, actual awareness, they've been out, they've seen that you're on the land, they still could legally um, terminate your lease if it's not actually recorded in that registry of deeds. So it becomes really important here in New Hampshire. So uh, lastly, a note on mediation. The New Hampshire Agricultural Mediation Program is a USDA program that provides mediation services to the agricultural community to help resolve disputes before they ever end up in court. So if you're working on your lease, it may be a really good idea to include a provision about resolving disputes and to agree that if one comes up, you'll use this program to resolve the issues before spending a bunch of money and time suing each other. Always good to, um, what is it, measure twice, cut once. <laughs> yeah, <there you> go. <laughs> do the work on the front end for sure to avoid issues yeah. on the back end. Well, great, Sarah, thanks for that rundown on the high notes for New Hampshire state specifics for land leasing law. Um, I hope that helps you listeners in New Hampshire to understand um, some of the you know most important parameters for drafting up your or negotiating your farmland leases and then also for um, folks across the country gives you an idea of um, some examples of state specifics so really really great information and Sarah would love to leave our listeners with a couple of action steps that they can pursue as um, hopefully they go forth into this winter season of planning and office organization and um, visioning for the 2022 growing season uh, what what action steps should producers be keeping in mind would you say for farmland leasing yeah definitely so here's you know for beginning stages if you're just in the beginning stages of finding farmland you know your i say your action step really is to commit to having an open mind about leasing so don't discount it as a viable farmland access option because it really can be a great option for farmers, especially for beginning farmers, which is um, what I hope you understand better by now. So under the right circumstances, yeah, it really can be a great way to get onto land quickly and get farming. So with that in mind, go forth into the farmland linking sites. Uh, there is one for your neck of the woods here, there's the New England Farmland Finder. And um, many of you might already be familiar with that, but if not, it is from uh, New England FarmLink Collaborative, which has land not just to buy, but also to lease. I did some digging around on there and there were definitely some options um, for leasing out there. So uh, the next action step I would I would say is for those of you who have a lease opportunity maybe already on the table, you've already looked at that site or other sites and you've already found something that looks great and you've started exploring that, maybe you've identified that piece of land, maybe you've already begun talking with the landowner. So your action step at that point, I would say before you quit your day job and haul all of your personal belongings off to the farm, go back to that checklist of questions to address a new farmland lease. So this is the time to ask lots and lots of questions. Download our checklist of questions and just get to it. So sit down with your prospective land lord and 
ask the hard questions, say what you need, find out what they need. This is not the time to be shy or nice. It is the time to get it all out on the table and find out if this is really going to work for you. And lastly, if you've already secured a lease, you've saved, talked about the hard stuff, you're going forward with it, but now you need to actually do the hard part of writing it down, see our model lease. And we've got one on our website. And uh, there are also some other good options out there. For example, Land for Good has a build a lease tool. And maybe that will be in our, our show notes. Eva, do we have show notes? We'll yeah, I'll, I'll drop a link to okay. um, all of the resources you've mentioned okay. there in the show notes for y'all. Great, great. Yeah, so these model leases can be a real handy tool if you're already on the, the land and in a leasing situation also. And maybe you've been doing this for years already without a lease, but you're looking for more security. So you might want to, at that point, consider writing it down and using one of those models to, to get there. Maybe it's maybe you want that option to purchase and um, you know maybe you want to convert this to a rent-to-own situation. So we've got those resources available and so go forth check them out now's the time now is the time and best wishes to you all as you um shore up form vision dream your your farmland leasing relationships best wishes that's all for now thanks for tuning in thanks eva thanks everyone for listening yeah thank you sarah what a heavy lift so much good information <laughs> We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Farm Commons podcast. For more information on what you just heard, as well as a variety of farm law guides, models, checklists, flowcharts, and more, visit our website at farmcommons.org. You can also email us at info at farmcommons.org if you have any questions or comments about this podcast or any of our online materials. Thanks everyone for listening and keep on growing.